we are up to 410 all-time unique listens. Yay! That's right. Now, October, we uh, for total downloads, yeah. we missed our September number okay. by one download. Dang, blame me. I was tempted to like use my wife's phone and download <laughs> the episode so it recorded as unique, even though she ain't going to listen to it, just because I had to at least yeah. meet if I beat that it. number, but that's cheating, and okay. I am not a cheater. No, we don't do that. We'll just I take that. I am not a cheater. We'll take it. Your phone silent? Yep. All do right. not disturb. Good. Yeah. All right, I'm putting the theme music on. Let's go. Oh, I got to go back to the top of my 38 pages of Gosh, notes. 38 pages. Cup in position. <laughs> you know, in, uh, in in men's sports, that means something completely different. <laughs> yes. I was about to say, yes, yes. coach. <laughs> we good. Go. <laughs> Thanks for asking. <laughs> you don't need to double check yourself, do you? Oh, it's upside down. Oops. <laughs> what you women don't have to put up with I'm in sports. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, okay. Welcome to episode number 15 of Black, White, and Blue in the South, a podcast discussing democratic politics with a Southern flair. I'm Bill Kimler. I'm Jimmy O'Brook. And we're coming to you from Greenwood, South Carolina, a little red county in a very red state. If you like what you hear, please leave a rating. Tell your friends about us. Follow us on social media, or better yet, uh oh. Please send us Christmas gifts wrapped in brand new Nikki Haley gift wrapping paper. What a better way to celebrate the birth of the blessed baby Jesus than with gifts lovingly wrapped with Nikki's name and logo all over it to remind you to love thy neighbor except for those below the southern border. <laughs> I kid you not, Nikki Haley is Shut selling... Up. Her campaign themed wrapping paper. You are lying. I am not kidding. You didn't oh, get a text message no, from Nikki? She didn't, she didn't send me that. No, I did not make that up. Wow. <laughs> you can always drop us a note at black, white, blue in the south at gmail.com. Send us your comments, questions, topic ideas. You pick the subject and have us run with it. You can also follow us on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and even Threads. We have a Linktree page that can connect you to everything, so look at those show notes, where we'll have that and links to all material mentioned in today's episode. We are sick and tired of being sick and tired, and mm-hmm. we're going to do something about it. And we are. <laughs> I really threw you with that Nikki Haley wrapping I paper. Mean, it's listen. the most absurd thing I saw in the news this week. Absolutely crazy. Wrapping paper. I can tell you, if somebody stuck a gift under my tree with Nikki Haley oh, wrapping paper, my goodness. I don't care if it has live animals in it. I'm throwing that sucker <laughs> in the trash. It ain't getting opened. It ain't getting looked at. It ain't getting returned. It's going right into the disposal. Yeah, don't even do that. Don't play me like that. <laughs> Yesterday, we had our November Greenwood County Democratic Party breakfast meeting, and I say it was a huge success. What I did you did, feel? I enjoyed it. It was great. Yeah. Who was our first speaker? Oh, the wonderful Shantae Morton. And what did she talk about? 
ACA, which is, of course, the Affordable Care Act. Most people know it as Obamacare. So I love the way she talked about the eligibility requirements. And then the, the main point that I'm glad she harped on was the ability to have that change in lifestyle status, which opens the door for you to apply if you didn't or if there were changes and you need to make, make that known. So she did a really good job with elaborating on that. It was surprising to me the amount of people in the audience yeah. for whom this healthcare option was very personal to them. Yeah. And also surprised at how many of them found that when they registered and signed up that their deductible was quite high yeah. and their premiums were quite high. And even Sean Tate seemed surprised by it and offered to assist them in filling out the form because she made a very big point at the beginning. How you fill that form out in the beginning yeah. truly affects what kind of benefits yeah, and costs that she, you get. She pushed for accuracy. Don't try to like uh, say something that's not there. Make sure you put in everything that you need to. But I was going to say a true servant because as the moment they said, well, this happened to me, that happened to me, she said, wait, let me give you my number. She's an amazing woman. Yeah. Uh, then we had Stephen Edward Buckingham, who, Ooh, ran, we, who runs a private law practice in Greenville. Yeah. He was the lead litigant against the state of South Carolina, or at least the governor, treasurer, controller, and superintendent of education. The state. Over a budget earmark submitted by our own Greenwood County Representative John McCravey to build a Bible school in Greenville. Yes. We'll talk about that in more detail later in our news segment, okay. but he was really fascinating. Yeah. You know, the other thing I thought was admirable was his ability to communicate. He knew his audience. Right. So he didn't come in here with a whole bunch of legal jargon, fluff. He kept, and that's one of the things I try to make sure I do, make sure that what I'm saying can be understood by almost anyone. Oh, if I can say this about you, you never come with fluff. I, <laughs> you're you're I try fluffless. Not to. <laughs> so I was so glad that he didn't come in here with terms that people couldn't grasp. When you left yesterday's meeting, you had an understanding of what had happened and where we are now with it. Videos of those speeches will be available on the Greenwood County Democratic Party's YouTube channel. Again, check the show notes for links and watch them for yourselves. You will be more informed as a result. Yeah. I also want to talk about for a second the future of our podcast. We're going to record maybe one or two more, and then we're going to go on a winter hiatus yeah. for the Thanksgiving and Christmas holidays. Um, we'll be traveling and, and doing some other things. So we're going to allow you, the listener, to catch up all the way back to episode one. Actually, don't listen to episode no, one. No, no, they should. We've grown. I've listened to that. Boy, it is cringeworthy. <laughs> but no, listen. The very first back. second, I flubbed the name of our own podcast in the first episode. I goofed up the you name did. of our podcast. You did. Uh, I figured it out later, but yeah. you're right. It is fun to listen to how this entire production has grown. Yeah. And then we've also been talking about whether we want to make these episodes longer yeah. Or shorter. There is no shortage of topics to talk about, True. and we have no shortage of words to put to those topics. Yeah, we're going to try maybe doing a little bit of shorter episodes, but you never know. You yeah. never know. Some, some of them you can't go short with. So either if we go short, then we part one, two, three, or something. But some of them require like what we're going to do today requires time. It does. We, in fact, we only have two topics we're going to cover today, but both topics easily could be an hour-long episode Easy. in and of themselves. Yeah. I also think next year, I want to commit to having some guests. Yes. All right. So as much as I love talking to you, I like guests. Uh, I think our listeners would appreciate a little variety in voice, opinions, yeah. experiences. We've got two lined up for next year. Okay. And uh, if you are listening to our show, would like to be on our show, we'd love to have you. Uh, you don't have to be an expert in anything. You don't have to be a superstar. 
far. You just need to have an opinion and you're going to give them. <laughs> so I, one of my Sarah's husband always, when he listens, he always, well, she's listening and he'll say, I can't wait. I'm going on their podcast. So as one of my guests, I will <laughs> give right. him that invite so that, um, and he says, yeah, I got something to say. So that would be really cool to have. Yeah. That's wonderful. Yeah. Fired up. Ready to go. Fired up. Ready to go. Jamil, it is no secret that you are running for office, as yep. am I. Yes. How has your last week been on the campaign trail? It's been planning. It's been fun. I think the important part is laying the foundation, and I think that's where we are right now is making sure that we have a strong foundation. I know. At some time, though, we got to get off the foundation and start building some we decks, ready. building we, some floors. We ready. We got some campaign volunteers this we, week. We did. We did. And you're not going to review those names. We yeah. got somebody who wants to be our campaign manager. We do. Wants uh, somebody to be our treasurer. With an accounting background. Don't play with us. We somebody who wants to be our social media manager. Yes, we do. And uh, this is all good stuff. And I keep saying our because you and I are running a coordinated campaign. I've yeah. spoken with the legal minds in Columbia to make sure that we do that in complete accountability with yeah. the State Ethics Commission in the yeah. process. So we know how to work through that. But yes, together we're stronger and these resources will share them together. Together and we will both be stronger as a result. Correct. I'm excited for that. I am too. We also got interviewed, you and I, on a podcast last week. So on Monday, the All About Nothing podcast released an hour and a half long episode featuring yours truly and Jamil. Yay. And we were interviewed by Barrett Gruber, uh, who's become a friend of mine over the past year. He's the one that actually got me into the podcasting bug. So thank you, Barrett. Thank you, Barrett. Yeah, we had a very great show. I think the only thing that detracted from that episode was Barrett. If it was just you and I for an hour and a half, I think it would have been a lot better, to be quite honest. No, Barrett asked good questions. Yes, he did. I I kid, of course. I kid. Uh, He is an absolute consummate professional. He's got the radio voice that I will never have. He does. Is that his background? It is. Okay. He has had experience as a radio broadcaster. In fact, I just wanted him to give the weather in time. I that know, would have been right? cool to hear. I would have been like, Maybe yeah, he does requests. It. Okay. Please take a look. And again, there will be a link in the show notes to that episode. Yeah. And it was a very lighthearted episode. So this wasn't an hour and a half of serious yeah, no. deep commentary. We yeah. were riffing off each other. It was a lot of fun. I enjoyed it. The, the last thing I want to bring up is that Jamil and I need a place to live. We need an office. Yeah, we do. I've identified some spots, but I need to go and follow through on those spots. I think we may have an office. Okay. Uh, we'll talk about that in our strategy session after this recording did you hear that we have a strategy session we're just not jumping out here doing things we plan we're organized yeah strategy boards oh i get excited just thinking about it i'm excited i like whiteboards and planning and you would never know you were a teacher (laughs) i know right (laughs) we're up to the minute reports stay tuned to this station now the news I'll introduce the first topic. Okay. This actually expands upon the guest speaker we had at our breakfast meeting on Saturday. Stephen Edward Buckingham wasn't just a random lawyer we interviewed off the street. I ran into his name a year ago in the newspaper, uh, the state newspaper to be precise. What had happened was, that's actually a, a, a southern line that I've learned in my in my. Did you see me light household. up when you said yeah. that? Like, <laughs> that what would ha- what like, had happened? When, when what anybody ha- tells a story, yes. it always starts off with, what had happened was, yes, yes. and they never even finish the word is what had happened was I'm so proud of you we're rubbing <laughs> off on you <laughs> so what had happened was yes yes Last year during the budget cycle, Greenwood Representative John McCravey, along with one other lawmaker from Greenville, uh, his name is Mike Burns, yeah. together they co-sponsored an earmark 
in the state budget. Now, an earmark is something that used to be a rather secretive process. Representatives can ask for special money for their local project, build a school here, help with this resource center there, give to that charity to the tune of millions and millions of dollars as part of the budget goes to these earmarks. And it used to be not transparent. You really wouldn't even know those earmarks were being made until recently, Governor McMaster, to his credit, did want some more transparency in the earmark process. And and because of that transparency, we learned that Representatives Mike Byrne and John McCravey submitted an earmark for $1.5 million to build a Bible school in Greenville to help a group called Christian Learning Centers. And this earmark was approved and signed by Governor McMaster. And quite frankly, anybody with a cursory knowledge of the South Carolina state constitution knows that there is an explicit clause in that constitution that says no taxpayer money can go to private or religious institutions directly like that. But nevertheless, it went in there And four families from South Carolina filed a lawsuit, and Stephen Edward Buckingham was part of the legal team that assisted them in that litigation, questioning the constitutionality of that earmark. So with that background, what is your opinion so far? You know how it started off. That's a bunch of crap. So one, thank you for bringing the attorney to Greenwood. That's an opportunity for us to get a little inside information because that's a whole lot of money that I didn't even track. That was not something that was on my radar. So I'm glad we had an opportunity to um, have someone come and speak about that. As individuals who represent our county and our state are comfortable with taking public funds and putting them in an earmark for a private institution and continuing to serve the public is a problem for me. I I know I asked one of the questions I asked was when that money, 1.5, 1.6, what 1.5? It's been earmarked. He mentioned that that money is now, it's a mute case. So, but the money is still sitting there. How do we get that money out of that spot? So I went back to what we all know, Robert's rule of orders. And I'm thinking they voted to move this money and approve this budget. So maybe someone needs to make a motion to pull that money from that budget and put it so that public schools can have access to it. I am not in support now, nor will I ever be in support of taking the citizens that are working every day to receive resources, money and giving it to a select group. Nothing in that seems ethical. Nothing in that, according to the Constitution, is legal. And that's the key point that Stephen Buckingham made. We're going to call him Buck. That's how he likes to be referred to. So Buck went out of his way to say that Greenville Christian Learning Center, he says they do a fine job. They do a good service. He was not disparaging them in any way. He says they have a great part to contribute in society. Yeah. But the law is the law. It's the law. And that's what you have to take all of your personal beliefs, spiritual beliefs, and set them aside and say, listen, we are lawmakers, we are lawyers, we are judicial systems that interpret the law. And he says it's very, very clear that this was a very unconstitutional activity. There was a lady named Catherine Schumacher. She's the president and CEO of Public Education Partners in Greenville County. And she questioned the fairness of sending taxpayer dollars to a private school when so many public schools are in need. Now, who made that point yesterday? Yeah. I think you made that point. That's it. Says, this is money that could have gone towards public schools. There are districts all over the state, she said, that could use $1.5 million to do significant facility upgrades, pay teachers more, provide mental health counselors yeah. to support students' success. The Christian Learning Centers... Guess what they were going to do with that $1.5 million? They were going to build a facility to house 
32 middle and high school students who are at risk. 32 students with 1.5 million. And this one opinion author said that is far too few to justify getting 1.5 million. With an extra 1.5 million, any school district in South Carolina could provide new opportunities to hundreds of kids, not just 32. If we look at the percentage here, 32, you want 1.5 million to build a residential facility where you can educate 32 at risk. That's going to come into the call of what are the qualifications for those at risk. There is no way that the majority of South Carolinians would have an opportunity to enroll what is considered an at-risk person or student. So you have a selective population that you're gearing your services to. 1.5 million could have gone to pay for 28 new teachers. I mean, that's an entire elementary school staff right there. That's 28 new teachers. That's ridiculous. So it it not only was an illegal, unconstitutional diversion of money. Can you say that one more time? No. Say it one more time. That was a one-time only. I need that again. (laughs) That's going to take me somewhere. It was. It was an illegal, unconstitutional. Correct. Yeah. Yes. Uh, it was a big waste of money, too. I mean, it, it just was not an efficient use of that money. So let's talk about that money. That money sits in a spot because it has been deemed so far that this institution, uh, the Greenville Christian uh, School, has decided that they will no longer take the money that has been earmarked. But that money, $1.5 million, still sit on a budget line item untouched. And South Carolinians that attend public schools still have a large shortfall in their budgets. So where and when will that 1.6 be put back into? You keep inflating the number. 1.5. That's right. 1.6 sound like it's Facts matter. Well, you're right. You're right. That's a part of you. Facts matter. So let's let's get to that because you keep mentioning giving it back. So we, we, we kind of skipped over back. a step. Putting it back. The the judge who was assigned this case for this lawsuit did find that this was an unconstitutional use of those earmarked funds. Okay. And as Buck shared with us yesterday, without a court order, the state is not allowed to give the Christian Learning Centers that 1.5. And the Christian Learning Centers withdrew their 1.5 request. And that's why you had referred to it earlier, the judge called it moot. Now, that does bring up a problem is what, where does that 1.5 go? And you really railed on that question yesterday. And right now it goes nowhere. It just sits there. It doesn't go back to the general funds. It is still sitting in this earmarked budget. It just can't go anywhere without a judge's order. Somebody asked, how will we know if that money ends up getting spent anyway? That was one of our lander students. Right. And Buck said, listen, you're not going to know unless you see groundbreaking. You know, you see construction happening. You see, you know, coming soon signs. Then you might know something was up and can investigate, but otherwise there really isn't a good recourse for keeping your eye on this thing. Yeah, which is unconstitutional. Now, I want to go back to when this earmark was spent because the local paper got a hold of this story last year and started to inquire to McCravey's office about what went on. And I want to pull out some words in this report that just don't line up or make sense to me. And I want I want to see if you pick up on this. Okay. So here is this earmark. McCravey said that Burns, the other representative, came to him and said Christian Learning Centers needs a new building for its religion-centered education programs. So again, McCravey said this guy came saying they needed new buildings. Then McCravey later says those documents were submitted after he sponsored the earmark, so he hadn't read them when he voted on the appropriations bill. Kind of in the same breath, he didn't know it was a building because he didn't see the documents until afterwards. But then 
Burns came to him and said, we want to build this building. So he's kind of saying both things that he knew, but he didn't know. Mm -hmm. And even if he didn't know, why the heck would you sign off on an earmark that you know nothing about? Either way, this does not come out looking good for working with $1.5 million of our taxpayer money. Listen, that's the only person I know that can say, I don't know, and get away with it. You said in one sentence that Burns told you that this school needed to build a center, a Christian center. So it seems like to me, you McCravey got up front the who and the what. And the how came from, we need this money, so how are we going to fund it? Later in the article, McCravey said the intent of the earmarked $1.5 million was to support educational programming for public school students. But on Facebook, the CLC calls the money seed funding for residential school. So there is really some dishonest activity happening here. Yeah. Uh, McCravey was quoted saying, I don't think the state money is going to be used for a school although that's exactly what the earmark was that he signed off on. He then said, quote, I'll make sure it's used to help release time public school students. That's what the earmark was intended for, even though the Christian Learning Center on their Facebook page said it was seed funding for a residential school. Things just don't line up. And you know what? And it gets even worse because the Christian Learning Center once they got sued over this, they changed their tune. They instead announced that they were going to do a charter school instead of a private Bible school. They said that a week after the lawsuit was filed, and they told the newspaper, the state, that it wasn't going to build a school at all. So they went from building this private school to building a charter school, to building no school at all. Their stories are jumping all over the place. Yeah, nah. if the judge ruled that it was mute on that particular name, what is it, Christian Learning Centers? Okay, what I'm going to watch to make sure, does this particular build or whatever they wrote it for name that entity? Can another entity that is similar to that entity still receive those funds? See, when you when you go underhand and you get exposed, now I have to wonder, will you change the name of an entity? CLC said they're not going to take the earmark funds, but maybe there's another portion of CLC yeah, maybe they that will. change their name to CLD and now and they're they receiving the, the funds. Fund. <laughs> and they take the funds. See, so if it was, it's an issue. So if we were, a, if a judge was able to say that it is a mute point, then they should have been able to say, Nope, we need to go further and make sure that the citizens of South Carolina get their monies returned back to that general budget so that they could be um, appropriately dispersed. Agreed. Oh, I love that sound. I don't know if anybody else does, but I love that An sound. An angel gets its wings Yay. and we get a new news article. It and means two it. in one. It does. It does. All right. So we're going to talk a little bit about recent publication that came from the State House report titled Magistrate Judge Applicants to Face Probing Questions. The basis of this article is Governor McMaster's is calling for a, a more thorough approach to selecting applicants and confirming them as magistrates in the state. This is based on recent actions that have been called to kind of get some magistrates in order for either not showing up to court, cursing in court or doing things of that nature. But he's saying, hey, we believe that we can build a stronger bench and have it more thorough, more more involved and do it while also rebuilding citizens faith in that part of the system. Now, the magistrate level is one of the lowest levels 
of the courts, but they do most of the work. In order to be a magistrate, you have to be appointed by the governor, and that, of course, is presented to the senators. 21 to 72 years old, have at least a bachelor's degree. And then what I thought was interesting is the actual exam. The exam consists of two parts. One part is the Wonderlick and students that have gone to technical schools. You know about that Wonderlick. High school students, you know about the Wonderlick. If you have at least a sixth grade educational level, you will be able to successfully complete the Wonderlick portion. So one of the questions that I heard was on this test was pick the smallest number out of this list. Yes. Pick the earliest date yes. out of this list. It's basic math. The sixth grade level, and I went, hmm, interesting. And from what I've heard, there have been magistrate judges that have had to retake that yes. test a couple of times yes. in order to pass it. And you can take it as many times as you want. So let's be clear. Um, for those that may not be aware, because this was actually a topic I was blissfully unaware of until a couple of years ago, magistrate judges do not have to have a law degree. No. They don't have to have any legal expertise whatsoever. No. They take this basic test, like you said, meet some minimum requirements. Correct. And then I also want to emphasize a point that you made, but maybe ran through a little fast. Okay. Yes, the governor appoints. Yes. But with the advice and consent of the Senate. Correct. But what that has turned into is the senators, the state senators, yeah. pick the judges yeah. and the governor rubber stamps. Correct. That's what it has been. And the state senators treat this as a perk almost to their friends and political associates to appoint them to a magistrate judgeship. I mean, why, why would you appoint someone who disagrees with your typical beliefs? Exactly. So, And, and so this sense. has become an abused process to deliver favors, uh, political favors, as well as pollute the judicial system. So here we go. So you get to take this test. I don't want us to miss this part on this test. It's two parts. Wonderlick is one, but then there's another component of the test. Wonderlick does not come with study materials. It's at the sixth grade level. The second portion of the test is called the Watson Glosser Critical Thinking Appraisal. This is where you get scenario-based critical thinking application, has a little more substance, how to make the right decision, how to make a decision type training. And they give you several different resources that would help you to be successful. But again, if you don't get that combined score of 40, you still can go back and retest and retest. Your results are good for two years before and two years after you assume the position of a magistrate. We got a lot of problems there. So let me talk about some of these problems. There okay. was a very deep research study done by the Post and Courier back in 2019. And this is when it first caught my attention because this was absolutely frightening. Some people may downplay the role of magistrate judges, say, hey, they're just there to help you know, with these huge backlogs and deal with very minor offenses and really they can't do a lot of damage. But I'm going to tell you a story that came through in this Post and Courier review where they researched thousands of cases handled by magistrate judges and found terrible decision after terrible decision that was yeah. being made, many of which were illegal and unconstitutional that ruined lives. There was a story about Sasha Darby. She was a young lady that had a fight with her roommate. She struck her roommate during this fight and charged with assault. Okay, that's that's a bad thing. But she stood alone in front of this magistrate judge without a legal representation and tried to argue that the attack was self-defense. The judge named Rebecca Adams cut her off and basically steamrolled over this defendant, never asked if she wanted a court-appointed lawyer, 
never mm-hmm. asked if she could afford one. Mm-hmm. The judge basically blocked her right to seek legal defense, and she ended up with a criminal conviction in a $1,000 fine that she could not pay. And when she could not pay, guess what happened to her? Mm. She was thrown in jail. Yeah. And guess what happens when you're thrown in jail? She lost her job. Mm-hmm. She lost her home. Mm-hmm. So her life was essentially ruined because this magistrate judge who does not know law ended up being sued as a result by the ACLU, denied this defendant all the rights that the U.S. Constitution provides, and her life was ruined as a result. Yeah. That's the danger that a magistrate judge can do if not qualified, if not trained properly, and if you make reckless decisions like that. McMaster's is wanting this, which I, I, I'll tell you my opinion on it, but he's wanting to implement these changes so that the individuals who serve in these roles can have some kind of legal awareness. That doesn't seem crazy to me. And then he wants to know more about their sentencing philosophies. Like if this crime occurred, how would you rule? What would you do? Um, which again, doesn't seem that far-fetched to me. And he wants financial and background information. Oh, that's good. Mm-hmm. You want to know who have you donated I, to? How do you get your income? Do you have any potential conflicts of interest? You yeah. know and I know that when we filed to become candidates, yeah. we had to fill out some sort of form like that. Yeah. You know, We had to fill out a, a financial form yeah. to show what our holdings were and, and see if there was any potential conflicts of interest. And the same should happen of judges. Yeah, I think so. So I'm, I actually am not necessarily against him saying this. But here's what I'm thinking it's going to do. Um, This isn't new. You've had different representatives and senators call for diversification in judges, judge related positions across the board, no matter what level of the law you're talking about or what positions they're sitting in. And so I think what it's going to further expose is that this is primarily a role that is held by men, white men. And if you're doing it that way, we've got to figure out a way to increase the um, diversity there. You need you're going to have to have women that operate in this capacity. You're going to have to have different races that operate in this capacity so that it is not just a one gender, one race making all of these decisions. Yeah, diversity is an important part, but I, I also think that just basic qualifications play I mean, really? an, an extreme role here. To quote this article, unlike most states, South Carolina does not require its magistrates to have a law degree. Mm-mm. Over the years, their numbers have included construction workers, insurance agents, pharmacists, even an underwear distributor. Once selected, now get this, this is going to blow your mind. Okay. They undergo fewer hours of mandated training than the Palmetto State requires of its barbers, masseuses, and nail salon technicians. I believe that it. is a fact. And I, I want you to put a pin in that because that fact about training is going to come up. But imagine this, somebody who's making truly a life and death decision. Yeah. You fine for a thousand dollars. That could be life or death for an individual, especially if you're impoverished. Yeah. Less training than a barber. And nearly three quarters of our magistrates lack a legal degree and couldn't represent someone in a court of law. They're not even qualified to sit there and argue the very case that they are sitting in judgment of. That's deep. But you know what? I see that as a trend. It seems as though we say that there's no one above the law. But if you look at what is occurring daily at the state level and then at the federal level, it appears that there is a group of people who appear to be above the law. Let me talk about this training a little bit more because I want to blow your mind further. So it didn't blow your mind enough that a magistrate judge requires less hours of training than a barber. Let's go over some numbers. A magistrate judge must complete a hands-on training course, which totals 
57 and a half hours. By comparison, police officers who often appear before magistrates must complete a 12-week training academy versus 57 and a half hours. Barbers, guess how many hours a barber needs in order to become licensed? Is it 1,800? What do you got? 1,500. <laughs> That's close. Versus 57 and a half mm-hmm. hours. <laughs> mm-hmm. But you make in life or death decisions. And how does the board of magistrate and municipal judge certification, how does that come into it? you got a board who's managing this particular group of people that has been appointed by whom? Who you think is appointing <laughs> And then they get three years to serve and say, great, these are the individuals that we want to come. No, no, no. Sometimes it's far more than three years. Because I hear that there is a trend of carryover yeah, you can magistrates. Mm-hmm. Why don't you go ahead and talk about that? Yeah, you can reappoint. And if you're talking about consistency, no change in the no, thought process. No, I'm not even talking about reappointing. What are you We're saying? We're talking about, let's say you've appointed somebody to be a magistrate judge and they okay. serve their term. Yeah. But if you don't file for a reappointment or you mm. don't file for a replacement, they get to sit there as a holdover. Oh my goodness. So they sit in limbo oh. with this loophole in the law mm. indefinitely. In fact, as of last week, there is a magistrate judge that's been on holdover status for 19 years. <gasps> 19 years. This is a loophole. There are dozens of judges in the state that are well past their terms because of this holdover status. Mm, I was going to say that's amazing, but it's not amazing. <laughs> our, our ability to be shocked d- d- diminishes every week, I doesn't mean, it? <laughs> Oh, my God. So I'm going to take it local here and talk about a heated argument between the Index Journal and Representative McCravey and Senator Billy Garrett from Greenwood. Now, this has all been very Greenwood-centric today's episode, but if you're anywhere else in South Carolina or the South in general, take a look at what's happening in your area when it comes to earmarks of budgets uh, going to where they shouldn't go. You should be aware of that. Mm -hmm. Also be aware of magistrate judges, especially in South Carolina, and Mm -hmm. see if these type of issues don't also apply in your county. So Jamil brought up that in October of this year, the governor of South Carolina, Henry McMaster, wanted more financial and background information from magistrates. And and in general, that is a good thing. Mm -hmm. The Index Journal wrote a opinion piece praising this step in the right direction. We want this type of oversight and scrutiny. So for our listeners that are not in Greenwood, the Index Journal is our local paper. Correct. Okay. And basically, it, you know, maybe it doesn't go far enough. Maybe we want more. But in general, I support transparency and openness and, and people being qualified for the positions that they're in because we see what happens when you don't have that oversight. In fact, I gave two different lectures at our breakfast meetings earlier this year about the Supreme Court and how they've put themselves above any ethics review. You yep. and I have talked about it. Yes. But anything that involves review of all the branches of government, I, I call that a good thing. So the Index Journal wrote in praise of that and talked about some of the problems that you and I have just talked about. The paper brings it very local okay, and says, let's talk about what's happened in Greenwood. So the senator basically submits the judge's names. Yes. In this case, it's Senator Billy Garrett. And He appointed a couple of magistrate judges. One was a guy named Carson Henderson. And again, the paper went out of its way to say these could be very good people, but we need to call out some overlapping of interests. So Garrett appoints Henderson to a magistrate role. Henderson has rented office space in the law firm building that he and Garrett occupy. In addition, Henderson has donated $1,000 to Garrett's Senate campaign in 2021. 
Could there be some conflict of interest? Could they have a mutual acquaintance that goes in front of Henderson that because of these arrangements, he may not get a, it may give a biased judgment. These are questions that should be out in the open. And these are facts. Yeah. There's no disputing any of this. There was another one, uh, another appointment, a pastor named Tony Foster yeah. got appointed to a magistrate's post. Now, Garrett and Tony Foster and John McCravey are all tight. The three of them appear all over the place, have <laughs> appeared at fundraisers together throughout Greenwood. They're on social media together, That's praising each to other. Me. I've seen Tony Foster attack Democratic candidates in the past. He's just as extreme of a Republican as you can get, and that's fine. Foster has no law degree. Uh, he's he's a, a Greenwood minister, president of Restoration Bible College. He's got a bunch of books that he hawks for sale all about his ministry, and that's all fine and good. And bing, he's now found himself as a magistrate judge. And the paper says, is this what we want to judge, you know, cases that come before you? Well, that all factual. John McCravey didn't take well to that. The very next day, Representative McCravey went on Facebook and, in fact, did a paid ad so that it would reach all of Greenwood County and beyond. And McCravey says, and this is just nuts, says the Index Journal is criticizing Senator Garrett for recommending Pastor Tony Foster for appointment by the governor for magistrate position. And then says he's the first African-American man ever to serve in that position in Greenwood County. Notice the paper didn't mention that. John McCravey did. So that's fine. Instead of celebrating the appointment, however, the editorial board criticized Judge Foster because he's not an attorney. I don't say they criticize him. They said the guy does not have law background. All right. And, and that is pandemic across the state. And which is why the governor decides they want he wants to up the application process and make it a little more intensive. Yeah. Then McCravey goes off the deep end. He says, are they really critical just because he's not an attorney? Surely not, for non-attorneys have always served as magistrates and municipal judges in our city and county. But that's the problem. The whole problem was non-attorneys, non-law degree bearing people having these positions of judges. So when McCravey says surely not, because this is how it's always been, he misses the point completely. And so he misrepresents the paper's opinion and then twists it. He basically says, the truth is, we should be honored that a Christian man of great character and integrity accepted this appointment. Why, again, is the Index Journal really criticizing this appointment? The answer may be a familiar one. Before he became a judge, Pastor Foster testified in Columbia for the heartbeat bill. He pointed out that abortion has targeted the black race disproportionately. He led prayer for Governor McMaster in more than one event. He opened with a prayer in the U.S. House of Representatives. Unfortunately, a conservative, pro-life, black men like Pastor Foster and Senator Tim Scott are often picked on and criticized by the left because they do not fit the leftist narrative. Went right off the deep end, brought in race, brought in, in abortion, brought in extreme religious positions. I don't think McCravey missed the point of the paper. He got the point of the paper, but what he wanted to do is what they do best, distract the population. Yeah. And he wanted to use, and this is what I don't get about, you know, they go far right, far left. I, I don't care where you're at, what side you're on. Here's the issue here. I need you to stop only using things like being an African-American man or being a Christian when you want to defend your stance 
hits on something. McCravey ain't, st- he he has so much respect. No, Garrett, who, McCravey, McCravey, who did this? Garrett. Well, Garrett did the appointment. Uh, McCravey, McCravey came responded. to the defense. Okay, so let me take both of them because both of them voted to support or not support the hate crime bill. But they have so much respect for Scott and for was Tony Foster. Tony Foster. They got so much respect for those two gentlemen that they don't see the, enough respect to vote in favor of protecting the people who look like them. Because in case both of those individuals forgot, they are black men. And that bill applies to them as well. So he want to use, oh, are we doing this because he's African-American and he's a Christian? Well, sir, you got a lot of African-Americans within your district. Senator Billy Garrett, who's not exactly known for his uh, deep legal analysis, he commented on this Facebook thread. Once again, I'm disappointed in our local newspaper. Guess what? Tony is a Christian. To some on the left, that alone disqualifies him from holding office. That's a bunch of crap. Again, going off the deep end, not once did the paper say that they raised uh, concerns because mm -hmm. he was a Christian. They raised concerns because he had no legal background, and that's the whole problem here. The legislative delegation meets in Greenwood every quarter. These are the senators and legislators from Greenwood that meet. They go over different county board appointments and, and different charitable groups appointments. And I sat through one of them, and they read the name of this one candidate for some post, and Billy Garrett says, oh, I know him to be a good Christian man. He's a good Christian. So while Garrett in his Facebook post says that the left wants to disqualify people because they are Christian, well, guess what? 99% of South Carolina is Christian. So if we're going to disqualify people because they're Christians, we'd have no appointment. So that's just a ridiculous claim. However, sitting in that room, I found that Billy Garrett's only qualification that he was caring about was whether somebody uh, claimed themselves to be a Christian. And that's why they got the appointment. I'm glad you said claim themselves to be a Christian. I think what we're doing is we're using these labels to push a certain agenda. So I know that sometimes I might take people a little far in terms of my thought process. But what I want to do here is draw a strong correlation to what is happening. I need for the opposing party to come with something new. Typically, their plan is to attack using keywords like you're going to use race, you're going to use gender, and you're going to use religious affiliation. Those are three uh, descriptors that they typically use to either promote a person or push down a, pro- a person. Those are the only two things. Those are the only three things they got. Now, they're going to try it in one way or another, but you shouldn't be surprised, South Carolina, nationally, as if you want to look at it, that is their approach. So you're going to beat your chest and say, we've got to take a stand and we've got to protect. And then you're going to use that same hand to beat that same raggedy old chest and go over here and talk down about here's what they are doing because they are not Christians. Here's what they are doing because they do not have the same line of thought as we do. When you promote hate, we are two decisions a waste from looking like what we've seen on the TV. And if people in South Carolina don't wake up and see that strong correlation, we are heading down a very, very dark road. We're not far from where other countries are. And this is all attached to democracy, protecting it with everything in it and recognizing that it's okay to be different. I don't have to think like a Republican. I don't have to wear a Republican shirt. I can still stand for the people. And if people don't agree with me, that's okay. I don't wish it to where they just disappear. But the amount of hate that comes from our senators and our representatives when there is someone who does not agree with them is ridiculous. 
I want to wrap up with one final point just to underline how John McCravey plays fast and loose with the truth. I want you to recall two points that were made earlier. Uh, One, the amount of training that magistrate judges get, which is below minimal education training. And then secondly, the amount of power and impact that they could have in an individual's life. So somebody did ask in that Facebook thread, um, shouldn't they have, you know, some legal background and training to be in this judge position? And McCravey wrote, magistrate courts have limited jurisdiction and only handle misdemeanors and small claims. They also set initial bail. They receive judicial training for everything they do prior to serving. So he really downplays what a magistrate judge does and the amount of training they get and really just played fast and loose with what's the reality. It's ridiculous. And that's a wrap for this episode of Black, White, and Blue in the South. As Jamil enjoys her energy drink, we hope you enjoyed what you heard. If you made it here to the end, she almost spit out her energy drink at me. That would have been really nasty. If you made it here to the end, you must have loved it. So why don't you take a quick minute and leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever it is you use to listen to us. And we're sure out there somewhere, a little puppy will be rescued from an animal shelter as a result. Look, we got to do what we got to do to get these ratings in. If you are a blue dot in a red sea, keep the faith, keep up the hard work. Change only happens over many years of work and dedication. You may think your voice may not make a difference, but enough voices together can create a powerful choir that can inspire a nation. Yeah. Do, 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 do. First, we did not address that, and I think we should have addressed that. You AI'd me. Oh, you want to bring that up now at the yeah, end when I'm it, dog tired? It clicks to me because you said it. You AI'd me, and you're okay with that. Listen, you keep up with that attitude. I may AI you for the entire <laughs> podcast. AI is incredible technology. I went, wait a minute. No, he didn't. Yes, he did. You don't think I can dang blang my way to AI? I mean, <laughs> you're replaceable, lady. Just letting you know. Never that. <laughs> I agree. All right. Hello, this is the Shoei speaking. Why do humans have such a difficult time with the words magistrate judge? Just listen to this. Magistrate drudge judges. Magistrate judges. Magistrate judge. Magistrate judge. A magistrate judge be a magistrate judge. Magistrate judges. Magistrates and municipal judges. And Perhaps I should take over the full show. Do you agree? The preceding podcast is a product of Big Media and copyright 2023, all rights reserved.